0: I want to begin with a question tonight. The question is this What's on your mind? Don't answer that out loud. I don't want you to embarrass yourself. What's on your mind? Has anybody ever asked you that? Maybe they phrased it like this What are you thinking about? Maybe you've just kind of been staring out into space somewhere and they said, Hey, what, what have you been thinking about? What's on your mind? If you are a Facebook user, then uh, they ask you that every time you go to your timeline. You look at that little box, and uh, it asks that question, what's on your mind? Um, <laughs> depending on what day it is, and what time of day it is, and what kind of day it is, Facebook and the rest of the world may or may not want to know what's on my mind. Or what's on your mind, and then there are those people that think the whole world wants to know. (laughs) It's like uh, way too much information right there. I really don't care. But what's on your mind? They say that the average human mind will have anywhere from 60 to 80,000 thoughts a day. That's an average of 2,500. To 3,300 thoughts per hour. That's incredible. Other experts estimate a smaller number of about 50,000 thoughts a day, which means about 2,100 thoughts per hour. But even at that, would you agree tonight? That's a lot of thoughts. I just did some quick math while uh, I was standing here. Has anybody ever ever said this to you, a penny for your thoughts? Well, I did a little quick figuring. That may not be a bad question to answer. Because a 50,000 thoughts a day, that's $500 a day. That's $182,500 a year. So if you care to pay me a penny for every 50,000 thoughts I have a day for the next 365 days, I will take you up on it. $182,500. You can figure that out. My calculator would let me figure it out. The average lifespan of 70 years, what a guy would make it set uh, over 70 years of a penny for your thoughts. But that's a lot of money. Now let's let's say this just by way of illustration tonight, Um, I doubt that if this happens to you, I doubt if it happens to you tomorrow, I doubt if it happens to me tomorrow, but if it does, I promise to tithe, I hope you'll promise to tithe. Somebody comes up to you in the morning and says, here's $50,000, here's the only stipulation, you can spend it on whatever you want to spend it on, but you have to spend it all Before the clock strikes midnight. I think most of us here tonight would be very careful about how we went about spending that money. I know I would, I'm sure you would. I, since I was the one writing the message, I gave a little bit of thought to that. Thought about some things that I would do, and obviously I would tithe, and, and then uh, probably help Brother John, Brother Alfred, if I could, and, and uh, do some other things with it. But I submit to you tonight that it's a shame that we would devote more time to how we would use $50,000 than we would on how we spend our thoughts. Several years ago, Dr. Tim LaHaye, many of you will be familiar with that name, he wrote a book titled The Battle for the Mind. And there is indeed a battle going on for our mind or our thought life. I'll use this to put a plug in for this year's heart-to-heart theme, Armor Up. Uh, Ladies, I'd encourage you to avail yourself of every opportunity. Every Tuesday you have the opportunity each month to be at Heart to Heart. The focus will be the armor of God and uh, the need to pray on and utilize the armor that God gives us and part of that is the helmet of salvation. And the helmet protects the mind. And uh, a year or so ago, when I preached the series uh, on spiritual warfare, we talked about the mind because here's the truth. Whoever or whatever controls the mind controls the life. That's, it's as simple as that. There, there's, there's, there's no other explanation for that. Whoever or whatever controls our mind controls our lives. Now, the battle for the mind is not because it's the most complex mechanism in the world. The reason that there is a battle for our minds and for our thought lives is because our mind is the most influential organ in our body. In his book, Dr. LaHaye said this, your brain supervises everything you do from the involuntary beat of your heart to the conscious decisions of life. Fifteen college professors took this challenge. If all the books on the art of moving human beings into action were condensed into one brief statement, what would that statement be? Their result, the result of their deliberation was this. What the mind attends to, it considers. What the mind does not attend to, it dismisses. What the mind attends to continually, it believes. And what the mind believes, it eventually does. Someone said it like this. So a thought reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Reap, reap a character or sow a character, reap a destiny. But look back at where that begins. It begins in our minds. It begins with a thought, you sow a thought, reap an action, sow an action, reap a habit, sow a habit, reap a character, sow a character, reap a destiny. I'm telling you tonight, there is so much riding on our thought life and on our minds. How many of you would agree tonight that what you think matters? Absolutely. Absolutely. Paul certainly believed that, and that's why he wrote what he wrote in the book of Philippians, chapter 4. If you want to turn there tonight, the book of Philippians, chapter 4, we're just going to read one verse. It'll be a bit familiar verse to you tonight. It's verse 8. Philippians, chapter 4, and verse 8. When you find it, say amen. Well, that was fast. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. I think we can probably all read this together since it's just one verse. So here we go, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, good, if there be any virtue... And if there be any praise, think on these things. Now, why would Paul add this verse in his closing remarks to the Philippian believers? I would submit to you that it's because he understood this truth. You are not what you think you are, but rather What you think you are. You are not what you think you are. What you think you are. This is not a message tonight on the power of positive thinking. It's a message on the power of biblical thinking. But even at that we cannot discount the impact that both negative and positive thoughts have upon our lives. And so I want to take just a few, few minutes here and, and talk about some negative thoughts that people often have and, and where they lead. And the first one is, is this, self-pity. And I would be less than honest with you tonight if I did not say that I myself have visited the slew of self-pity on occasion in my own life. I would not stand here and pretend to, to uh, uh, act like I've never had pity on myself. And, and honestly, I think if we were all uh, forthright with one another tonight, we would all say that we have spent some time there because life is hard for all of us at times but i'm not i'm not talking tonight about an occasional trip there and we've all had those i'm talking about living there those who in their minds choose to live in self-pity are frequently heard saying things like well you just don't know what i'm going through or You try living with this 24 hours a day and see how happy you are. Self-pity. And then there's blaming. By blaming, I mean attempting to find a scapegoat for your problems. Because some people can't face life on their own, they find someone who they can blame as the source of their problems. It may be their spouse it may be their parents, it may be their siblings, it may be a friend of theirs, it may be their boss or a coworker, it may even be somebody at church. But here's the danger with blaming. It leads to perpetual victimhood. And victimhood then leads to another form of negative thinking, which is the thought that you can't change. And here's how it happens. Once you immerse yourself in self-pity, and once you're convinced that you're a victim, the logical conclusion is this. Well, I can't change. There's nothing I can do about it. And unfortunately, this kind of negative thinking tends to reinforce itself. Since you can't change, then your behavior can't be your own fault. So you never have to face it honestly. These types of negative thinking people can be heard saying things like, well, there's no use trying, I'll never change. Or, yeah, I know it's wrong, but I'm not going to stop. Or, well, God made me this way, so it's not my fault. Now, what is the logical outcome to this type of thinking? It's anger and bitterness. You see, once you begin to pity yourself, you choose to become a victim. But victims can't be blamed, right? And if you're a victim, it's not your fault. And therefore, you refuse to face the possibility that you yourself are the source of your own problems. When others suggest otherwise, then you get angry and you get defensive and you get bitter. I mean, you, you remember every miserable thing that has ever been done to you. You stew in your own juices over the slightest negative remark made by others. You bristle at the notion that things in your life could, could be different. You hold grudges, even though you say you don't. You do. So do you see how negative thinking leads to negative living? Whoever or whatever controls the mind controls the life. And if you let negativity be the prevailing mental attitude of your life, then you are going to live a negative, miserable life. It's just as simple as that. But thankfully tonight, it doesn't have to be that way. And Paul knew that, and that's why he gave us a biblical pattern for thinking that has the power, listen to me, it has the power to transform our lives. And so I want to give you these things that we just read. I want to present them to you tonight in the form of, of questions. Questions that we should ask ourselves before entertaining any thought. And right off the bat, here's the first question. Is it true? Is it true? Paul said there in verse 8, whatsoever things are true. Now, this is not a question that is often asked in our 21st century culture where there seems to be no absolute truth. I believe Brother Tyler brought that point out last Wednesday night uh, in his message. that, And he's certainly true that there in many cases and in many lives and in many minds, there is no absolute truth so today the question is more likely to be does it work or how will it make me feel in today's pragmatic as opposed to biblical culture truth is whatever works truth is whatever produces positive emotions Are you with me A hey, truth is what works for me And truth is what works for you. And truth is what makes me feel good about myself. It's about what uh, helps pump me up emotionally. It's, It's what makes me warm and fuzzy on the inside. And whatever that is, that is what is truth for my life. Now, here's what's sad about that church. That philosophy has crept into the church. And it has affected what is being preached from the pulpit and in terms affects the way people are living their lives. Thus, the difficulty of determining whether somebody is a Christian or whether they're not a Christian because they're just all living the same way. Fewer people are going to church nowadays to think Or to reason about the truths of the scriptures. Remember what uh, Paul said about the Bereans over there in the book of Acts, that they were more noble than those of Thessalonica? Why? Because they searched the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. What things? The things that Paul was preaching, the things that Paul was teaching they didn't just take it at face value they went home they got in the book they studied for themselves and they came to church ready and many of the preaching uh, opportunities in that day was was a dialogue it was a give and take paul didn't just stand up and preach to you like i'm doing tonight there was opportunity for input and there was opportunity for questions and, and that's why there in uh uh athens as paul was was talking that's why they called him a babbler and because they would ask him questions, and he would give an answer, and he was talking about this, this Jesus guy who died and supposedly rose again, and this guy's nuts. But people don't come to church today to think or to reason about Scripture. And more and more people are going just to get their weekly spiritual high. They need to feel that God is still with them. And that's why we have an increasing amount of spiritually unstable people. That's why many churches, and again, Brother Tyler used this phrase last Wednesday night, but that's why a, a lot of churches nowadays, megachurches, are a mile wide, but they're only an inch deep because it's all a big it's 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 all a big pep rally on Sunday. It's about preacher make me feel good about myself and make me make me convince me that I can go out and I can whip the devil, and I can win this and I can do this and I can do that, but don't tell me that I have to give this up and eat or in in order to have God's blessing. Don't tell me that I have to live this way and, and talk this way and act this way in order for, for God's blessings to be on me. Just tell me that I can live however I want to live and still have God's blessings on me. Preacher, just tell me how I can have my best life now. Well, if I don't have time, to just go out and buy my book. A man by the name of Bill Hall wrote this, what scares me is the anti-intellectual, anti-critical thinking philosophy that has spilled over into the church. This philosophy tends to romanticize the faith, making, listen to this, making the local church into an experience center. Their concept of church is that they are spiritual consumers and that the church's job is to meet their felt needs. Time out. That's not my job as a pastor. My job as a pastor is to preach the word of God. And however that makes you feel is not on me. I'm not responsible for how you feel. The Holy Spirit is responsible for how you feel. And if you feel lousy when you leave church, it's probably because the Holy Spirit worked you over good because of the preaching of the truth. (laughs) Excuse me. Just a minute. The truth. Much better. So here's what you need to do. You need to You need to find yourself every week in a church that majors on the truth, so that your thinking can be centered on the truth. And I happen to know one if you're interested. Question number two, is it honest? We are to think things that are honest. The sense of the Greek word here tends to lean toward that which is honorable, that which is noble. And here's how Merriam Webster defined noble. Having, showing, or coming from personal qualities that people admire, such as honesty, generosity, courage, etc. Our thoughts ought to lead us to live in a way that others can respect us. Well, preacher, they don't know how I'm thinking. Well, they can tell by how you're living. Because whoever or whatever controls the mind controls the life. And so we ought to live, we ought to think thoughts that that cause us to live lives that others can respect. Number three, is it just? The word translated just means righteous. And of course the root word there is right. Many things in this world are not right. They're not just. And we could easily, listen to me tonight, we could easily dwell on those things. I don't know about you, but that's my tendency. My tendency is to dwell on what is not right, on what is not just on what is not fair. And we eventually, as I mentioned a moment ago, we eventually find ourselves playing the victim of injustice. I mean, we could build cases against people and seek revenge. We could allow our thoughts about what is unfair to sour our soul. Take your workplace, for example. I'm guessing everyone here could tell of some injustice that has been done to you or someone you work with. And listen to me, if that's all you think about, then you're going to be perpetually negative and critical. And I'm speaking from experience. I hate to admit that. But I've never had a problem being transparent with you. It affects even your pastor. The same holds true for church. I've never been shy about saying that this is not, it is not the perfect church. I am not the perfect pastor. Katie is not the perfect pastor's wife. We do not have a perfect ministry staff we do not have perfect nursery workers or children's workers or greeters or perfect anyone so here's the honest truth tonight if somebody wants to come in here and wants to find something less than noble to focus on about fellowship baptist church they can Well, let's just be honest. If they want to come in here and find something wrong, they can. And they can choose to focus on that and and then uh, tend to develop negative thoughts about this place. Or they could choose to focus on the overabundance of positive things that happen in this place week after week after week I mean just think about Paul for a minute we've been studying the book of Acts on Sunday nights we've followed the life of the apostle Paul he managed to think positively even when he was the victim of gross injustice when he was arrested in Philippi remember that When he was arrested in Philippi, he responded by doing what? He sang in prison. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, he had been in prison for years. First in Caesarea, and I'll mention a little bit about this actually on Sunday morning. First in Caesarea and and then in Rome. And they really were unjust charges. He was not guilty. I'm telling you, no man had, aside from Jesus perhaps, no man had been the victim of more injustice than the Apostle Paul. But if he had brooded over the wrongs that were done to him, then he would have become bitter and useless in the service of the Lord. Paul encourages us. Are you with me tonight? Paul encourages us to follow his example. Focus on what is right, not on what is wrong. And then there's a fourth question tonight. Is it pure? Mercy. This could be a whole message in itself. Is it pure? The meaning here is just what you would think it would be. It means undefiled, chaste, clean, holy. It touches the whole area of moral purity. Biblical commentator John Phillips said this. How does a person in our day, by the way, he wrote his commentary a number of years ago, how does a person in our day keep his thoughts pure? By excluding the impure. Once given a lodging, impure thoughts are virtually impossible to evict. They lurk in the hidden recesses of the mind and make their presence known at the most unexpected times. They may show up when we're trying to worship or when we are engaged in an innocent conversation with someone who has no idea that we are suddenly entertaining lascivious thoughts. If a person once lets his thoughts wander down some impure path, hidden legions, spiritual warfare, it's real people, hidden legions joyfully emerge and stampede pushing the mind into all kinds of sin hmm. <laughs> and here we are now in 2018 we carry computers in our pockets we wear computers on our wrists there's, a, there's an increasing, blatant, in-your-face lewdness in today's television programming. It makes thinking on things that are consistently pure difficult. Am I telling the truth? But difficult or not difficult, if we're to think biblically, we must think purely. We must think holy. Number six, is it lovely? This is the only time that this word is used in the Bible. And it speaks to that which is sweet. And which is gracious, which is generous, which is patient. So here's a good rule to live by. If it doesn't make you sweet, gracious, or generous, don't think it. Don't say it. Don't dwell on it. And don't repeat it. Fair enough. Number six, is it a good report? Report. What are thoughts that are of good report, pastor? They are things that are worth thinking about. They're things that are worth talking about. Things that are of a good report are things that are worth talking about. How often do we think things that are just not worthy? to be talked about. We think ill of others. We judge others in our minds. We pass condemnation simply based on what we see. And if we allow our thoughts to become words, which we often do, they are words that are not very admirable. Admirable. They're words that are could not be categorized, or thoughts and words that cannot be categorized as of good report. They are negative, they're destructive instead of being positive and constructive. They are words that Tear others down rather than building them up. Which is just the opposite of what Paul said they should be in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 39. And here it is. He said, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. But that which is good to the use of what, church? Edifying. The word edify means to build up. Simple. It means to build up. And Paul said the things that come out of our mouth ought to be useful in building others up that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Well, here we are tonight, adults a lot of married adults, a lot of husbands and wives sitting together, apply that verse to your most recent communication at home. Did it build up your spouse? Or did it tear down your spouse? What about the last conversation you had about church? Did it build up Fellowship Baptist Church? Did it build up others that you worship with? Or did it tear down your church? Did it tear down those that you worship with? When you and I put our lives up against Ephesians 4.29, it can be very telling, can't it? Things that build up, things that edify. And then look toward the end of this verse. Paul says, If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Look at me, church. Those last four words are not an option to be considered they are a command to be obeyed the structure of paul's words here make this imperative make this imperative and ongoing must paul says this ought to be the continual pattern of our thinking the idea is that of focusing our, listen, focusing our thoughts until they shape our behavior. Because for like the fifth time I'm going to say it, that whoever or whatever controls the mind controls the life. And so Paul is telling us here that we ought to so focus our thinking that it dictates how we live our life. Our mind is to be the incubator of a godly life. But in order for that to happen, we have to make deliberate choices to think profitable thoughts. Pastor, that sounds like work. Yeah. In 2018, it's more work than it's ever been. We've got to work at it. It's got to be deliberate on our part. Our minds, listen, our minds, at least my mind, will not automatically drift into these kinds of thoughts. Am I alone? I, I don't know why your mind works, but my mind just doesn't drift over here to things that are true and pure and lovely and of good report and honest. No, I've got to work to steer my mind in directions that it ought to go. Because if I let it go in the way it wants to go, it's going to go the way of the natural self. That is undone and unredeemed. I've got to work hard at surrendering my thoughts to the part of me that has been saved, the new man. And I don't think I'm alone in that. To quote John Phillips again, he said, the secret of a guided thought life is an active assertion of the will. In other words, we play a part in this church. We say, I will not think that way. I I will take that thought captive. The book of 2 Corinthians teaches us that, taking every thought captive. I, I will not allow that thought to roam around in my mind. The secret of a guided thought life is an active assertion of the will in cooperation with the Holy Spirit to think on these things. Because if the Holy Spirit isn't in this thing, then we're just going to go the way that we want to go. I was going to use this illustration at another point sometime in another message, but recently I was, we're, we've got. Uh, Tiffany and Kelby's dog, Tilly, at our house. And she's a, she's a big dog, a pretty strong dog. And so I was walking her, and we were headed back toward the house. And, and all of a sudden, she stopped. And she looked over, and in, 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 we we're on the sidewalk. And right over here in this plush green grass, there were two little bunnies. And they were just hunkered down in the grass, cute little things. And man, she started pulling hard. That natural instinct, you with me? The natural instinct that she has as an animal, as a dog, was telling her, go get him! go get him!" And I'll make myself the Holy Spirit. Um, I was over here pulling in the other direction. You with me? So her natural self wanted to go this way, but there was another power that was pulling her this way. And this power happened to be stronger than her, and so this power won. And that's an excellent example of the battle that we fight in our minds every day. There is a natural part of us that wants to go get it, that wants to go get them. But yet, there's another power in our life that's pulling. And I've I've said this before. Guess who's going to win that battle? The one that's going to win that battle is the one that is the strongest in your life at that point. And so how do we determine... Which is the strongest in our life at that point? Is it going to be the natural self or is it going to be the spiritual part of us? The, the, the strongest part of us is going to be the one that we fed the most. And so that's why Paul says in Galatians five seventeen that the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, so that we can't do the things that we would. There's this constant battle going on on the inside. There's the old man, there's the new man. And we are... We are We are given the responsibility and the challenge in the Word of God to feed the new man and starve the old man. Don't give the old man what it wants. Give the new man what it needs. So in those moments when we feel tugged, there's going to be a higher power, if I can use that phrase, the Holy Spirit of God who's pulling us this way. Say, do not say that. Now look at that. Do not think that. I'm going to tell you, whichever one of those is strongest in our life at that moment will win. Let me close by giving you some practical ways to think right. Number one, analyze your input. It all begins with what you allow in your mind. So what are you putting in your mind by way of music? By way of movies, by way of books, conversations, text messages, social media, web surfing. What kind of things? Analyze your input. Church, listen, you can't come to church for a few hours during the week and then go out there and fill your mind with all kinds of junk. And think that somehow you're gonna win the spiritual battle. You don't get enough church during the week to make you strong enough. You've gotta to learn to feed yourself and to exercise your own spiritual self. Somebody finishes garbage in, garbage out. Oh, that stupid computer. No, it's not a stupid computer. It is not a stupid computer, it is a stupid computer operator. What, because you didn't get out what you wanted is because you didn't put in what you should have. If you'll put in what you should have, it will put out what it's supposed to. Brother Monty, I'm telling you the truth. I know you don't even care, but I'm telling you, that's how it works. <laughs> don't worry, your flip phone, don't worry about it. You're all good. He says if his flip phone ever, ever dies, he's just not going to have a phone. Not a bad idea. Garbage in, garbage out. Analyze your input. So once you've done that, then you change your diet. Change your diet. Now, I'm not going to go the food route. I'd be stepping on too many toes, including mine. But we'll stay with the mind here. Change what you listen to. Change what you watch. Change what you read. Change who you talk to. Mm. that may be a new one. Maybe, you don't have to be mean and ugly about it, but maybe you should quit engaging in those conversations at work with those negative people. Because all they're doing is filling your mind with junk. So change who you talk to. Change what you think about. And then here's one, this is a biblical one. Maybe it should have been first. Memorize scripture. What did David say? He said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. Memorize scripture. And let me say this again. We'll have uh, just a quick time of invitation tonight. You are not what you think you are but what you think you are look at it again you're not what you think you are what you think maybe that should be dot 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 what you think is what you are let's pray